What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child. We really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Hey, guys. Hi. I, I'm super happy. I'm sitting down with my friend, David. I I don't even... Actually, I do know how we met. I was trying to figure out, how did we meet? I remember now. Because my son, Jonathan, was forever in David's office. <laughs> That's how we met. Yeah. <laughs> for good things. Oh, whatever. <laughs> he was not in your office for good things. Always. No. It's a learning experience. Funny things, maybe. <laughs> Ridiculous things, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good year. <laughs> Honestly, that year was the year that I transitioned out of the principalship. And I remember I went on one field trip with his class and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I don't know how you people do this all day with this group. <laughs> yeah, it was a good group. They were crazy. <laughs> they're they they're older and wiser now. And spread out. And spread out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They play each other um you know, the, the the boys are all at different schools now, mm-hmm. and they play each other at baseball games. Mm-hmm. And I there are still a few where I'm like, thank God y'all are not all together anymore. <laughs> Can you imagine that group yeah. <laughs> still together in high school? They yeah. kind of have fanned out through the district. I know. Lucky SAISD. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, David is now the principal at Bonham Academy. Yeah. Um, so do you want to tell your story a little bit of like, how did you get to Bonham? How long have you been doing this? Yeah, absolutely. So I came to San Antonio in 2010. I was originally from California. My, both my parents are immigrants from Mexico. They crossed the border. My mom was pregnant with me when she crossed. She was 17, had me a month after she turned 18. Uh, my life is completely bound to their story um, and the roots that they gave me so that I could mm. grow and be where I'm at today. Um, there's a lot of pivotal teachers in particular who played a role uh, in my own development and trajectory. I just found a card from one of them Aww. yesterday when I was cleaning up my office. And it was from Ms. Chow, who was the teacher who helped get me identified as gifted and talented in third grade and who I literally you know, give so much credit to for changing the trajectory of my schooling experience. I was a native Spanish speaker uh, in a sink or swim program in California. Mm -hmm. It was like you either learned it or you didn't. And Miss Ivory, my first grade teacher, helped me out. Uh, So did Power Rangers and Barney, I say, (laughs) in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Shout out. Um, But I I really do think um, a lot of my own story and then the story of my family and my peers that I went to school with at Western High School 
played a huge role into why I, I am where I'm at today and came back to the world of education kind of never left it right because I grew right. into undergrad then I came straight to San Antonio with Teach for America I actually was a teacher at Bonham I started off as a fourth grade I dual know I, lo- I know it's a fun fact <laughs> if you've heard the fun fact I'm sorry you're hearing it again but <laughs> But it does always surprise people. I was a fourth grade teacher. I was the classroom right across from the library. And yeah, so that becomes very nostalgic. You getting to be the principal um, back at the school where I started off as a teacher. Had no idea what I was doing. I, by the grace of God and the grace of children and their families, (laughs) um, you know, had a wonderful experience there. There were challenges, of course, but I, I look back on it very, very fully, like, full circle for me Mm -hmm. to get to come back and um, ended up working for Teach for America for a couple of years, got my master's at Trinity through the Tomorrow's Leaders program. I wanted to see education through a different lens, Yeah, kind of took everything I thought I knew about schools, like took my brain out, shook it up a little bit and then (laughs) put it back in. Um, I went to work in Alamo Heights for a couple of years too. I really enjoyed that experience, learned a lot from it. Um, and then made my way back to SAISD right around when Mr. Martinez was mm-hmm. uh, working on growing the Innovation Zone and um, helped found the Advanced Learning Academy with Kathy Beezer and Beth Kinnicky. And just, my son, and John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the Maestas family. Um, and, yeah, about three years ago now, uh, the principal at Bonham announces retirement. My text messages blew up. Uh, imposter syndrome set in right away. And I thought, me? Can I really do this? I was 29 at the time. Um, I'd had a good, lots of good experiences, but I I wasn't sure, you know, figured it'd be kind of like the mayor's race right now, a crowded (laughs) field, like it's just crowded, a lot of people. Um, And I got the call. Um, And the call, like, I remember like needing to sit down afterwards, sort of in disbelief. of the whole experience, and I've been there three years since my first year. Um, the community was in the process of uh, redoing its in-district charter, so we got to come together as a community through that experience. Then the second year, of course, uh, you know, the height of the the pandemic, <laughs> um, what we were just talking about, uh, and then now leading through the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, I've really I've learned a lot. I've fallen a lot. I've gotten back up a lot. Um, but I really loved every part of it. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Like to sit in a moment and look back on the last year mm-hmm. when you're living it, you're living it. You're just like, I'm going to get through this day. Yeah. But now we've gone through a large part of it and to sit and look back and think, wow, that was my second year as a principal when all <laughs> of this started. Yeah. You know, and you're at a dual language school mm-hmm. and it's an academy. So the grades you serve are pre-K through. Kind- yeah, we're actually, kinder. so we're, yeah, we're kinder through eighth and we have dual language, uh, three sections of dual language in most grade levels and one section of monolingual. Um, we are a neighborhood school and a choice school. We also have a fine arts pillar, an environmental science pillar, 131 years of history. Um it's, and now you're teaching in two modalities. Yeah. yeah. So you've just like condensed a 30-year career into three years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You see all the things I can do. Yeah. Let's – yeah. It's, uh, I count this past year in dog years. I'm like, okay. So I, and actually a parent the other day outside of the outside of the office was like, you've only been the principal here three years. I feel like you've been here forever. I was like, me too? <laughs> like you're right. 
Exactly. I mean, think about it. You know, any any one of those experiences can be a person's standalone experience. Mm -hmm. Like I run an elementary school, Mm -hmm. K-5, or I run a dual language program, or I run a virtual academy. But you're doing like (laughs) all of those things, including middle school at one time Mm -hmm. in your first three years of leading a school. So, I mean... That's yeah. pretty immense. Like, I appreciate you. Yeah. Nine, I do. Like, I thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Nine. It's nine grade levels. And we we had a lot of talk our first year in particular and continued talks around like nine years out of a kid's educational experience. When you account for their college years or their post-secondary years, that's half of mm-hmm. their lived experience. So. On the one side, you know, you have to think really about what does what does nine years at Bonham really mean? But I think this year, so many kids, even last year, didn't have the opportunity to close out their nine-year experience in the way they thought they were going to. Some of our eighth graders have never stepped foot. And then I think about our youngest learners, our kindergartners, who, you know, many were at home. Our amazing kinder team has slowly been, you know, bringing them in, phasing them in little by little. Um, things are starting to look more like we they used to look like. But even then, like I, I came in after crosswalk duty, which is one of my favorite duties. Mm-hmm. I came I came back into the building and kinder is the first, you know, first grade level there. And the teacher was with her student teacher and they were like, oh, it was a hard day. And so we talked about why. And it was, you know, just a transition kinder kids are going through, going from, you know, online learning knowing how to mute and unmute their mics and like like learning how to you know come along and having their parents sitting right there next to them helping them because parents are also playing a huge role in this it's it's a lot and it's also humbling for for many reasons and and we just talked about yeah the, the typical routines and procedures you teach kinder students you know for some of them their first year in in the schooling system um, they just don't look the same anymore. So kids, right. you know, naturally want to come together sometimes and they naturally, you know, want to like be the first ones to say something. But but teacher was saying there's even kids who were participating more while they were in their Zoom classes. And now they're in like their more normal class. And, you know, it's like, what do I do? How do I <laughs> I just and they're learning two languages like some of the kids exactly. are. Yeah. <laughs> It's so strange, right? Yeah. It's kind of surreal, the whole experience. And mm-hmm. I I am really grateful that we're making a, a comeback to face-to-face stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I have found myself, myself, I'm almost 45. Mm-hmm. I'm not in kinder. Mm-hmm. And I find myself reluctant mm-hmm. to go to places in person. Yeah. And it's not because of safety. It's because I'm like, ah, I have to get dressed. <laughs> I have to like... You know, yeah. I'd have to show up. Like, people mm-hmm. are going to see my face. Mm-hmm. I'm going to – I have to be on yeah. where I don't think I have to be on so much if I'm on Zoom, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, even just last night or maybe not two nights ago, Jonathan's at Jefferson, <laughs> and they did their big town hall meeting. <laughs> and I literally almost registered for in-person like four times during the day. Yeah. And then I just didn't. And <laughs> Carlos and I watched it from home. Yeah. Carlos made the videos for the town hall. <laughs> like we're we are super invested in yeah. our kids' education, but mm-hmm. I couldn't I just didn't have it in me to like go to an in person thing. Yeah. So if I'm feeling that way and I'm old, like little kids must also feel like I mean like Elise, mm-hmm. my daughter's six, she's in first grade. And she likes school. She's yeah. always liked school. But there but there's something really unique about getting to be home. Yeah. 
And so she even will sometimes say, like, can I just do a Zoom today and just be at home? Yeah. And I'm always like, no, because I can't get anything done if you're here. <laughs> so she has to go. But I get it. Like, I get that the transition is weird and mm-hmm. a little surreal to, like, go from I'm only with my close-knit circle to, like, yeah. I'm back in the real world where mm-hmm. I have to be on and performative and get dressed. And Yeah. It's a roller it's coaster. Weird. I think it's a roller coaster of emotions and then things ebb and flow and sometimes they flow a little too hard and then like the dam is like, <laughs> you can't hold back all the water. And then there's other times, for example, when we had like telepass testing, mm-hmm. I, you know, we did some pre-family meetings, I did some Zooms, we answered questions, we got, you know, things squared away in terms of logistics and also just honoring like what people were feeling and thinking, giving space to it and saying, yes. We hear you. I I think then once they started coming and they, you know, they came either for their COVID test. Thank, thank you, Community Lab. Shout out, um, you know, for the week before and then um, coming to testing next week, you know, they, they'd come. And then the next day they'd say, can we actually start coming in person? So you have that phase. You know, I think they're still and the choice is there and it should be there for families to to decide what's best for them. My niece and nephew who are in California, who I got to see over spring break, um, you know, they did not have that choice all year in California. Yeah. And there there wasn't the opportunity uh, for them to even go in person. And, and, you know, my niece and nephew, I'm sure like many kids, are both very different. Yeah. And some uh, things about remote learning worked for them. Some things didn't. Um, and now they're back in person. So, you know, they're, they're giving it a shot. I, I'm... <clears throat> I'm still. I still think families are gonna. It's not, like it's gonna be tricky to navigate. Yeah. I there are days um, like your daughter where I want to stay home too. <laughs> like, I'll just zoom in. I'll today, zoom guys. in today. <laughs> Call um, me if you really need me. Yes, um, but I had the experience also in November of like having to quarantine. Oh man. Yeah. Right. Because that just still feels distant, even though we're like, you know, vaccinated now, and even that feels just like like November when we had to quarantine i just remember being like i'm gonna go stir crazy Mm -hmm. because we had the the intense lockdowns from the beginning and then we like opened up way too quick as we know and then we you know got back into schools and there were all the emotions we were trying to to manage Uh, and i was on you know the bear county education uh, group task force yeah um and and learning a lot from that but also knowing like we were doing something for the first time like yeah it reminded me of the days at the Advanced Learning Academy. Um, where <laughs> when was you're building it. Building it. Building it. And there's lots of feelings, lots of emotions, lots of tears in my office many times. Uh, either because of real fears or perceived fears that people had. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also, you know, there are some things that we got wrong. Some things that, you know, we couldn't help but stumble over and try to pick ourselves yeah. back up from. It's a heavy as a principal, um, I won't speak for other principals. I'll speak for myself. That's heavy for me mm-hmm. um, to say maybe we didn't meet the mark or maybe there was something we should have done better or differently. I think uh, that's true yeah. for all educators. I think the profession of education is so – it's one that's so heartfelt for so mm-hmm. many and you want to get it right because you recognize how important getting it right is. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of a book we read for uh, one of our book clubs where the author said, the best thing about teaching is it matters. Mm-hmm. And the hardest thing about teaching is that it matters every day. Mm-hmm. 
And that's that's where I feel like that weight of like, man, we didn't get it right. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we could have done it differently. It's it's a stronger sensation when you're an educator, I think. Yeah. Can I build on that? Yes. Okay. I I pulled up this <laughs> quote that I shared yesterday actually in a in a in an email to our faculty. Because <clears throat> um, yesterday was a rough morning. Today was actually a nice morning. In the weekend, like long weekends are generally nice. But um, you wake up some days in these times and you're not sure that you totally want to get up. And yesterday was one of those mornings. And so, you know, you're in a wake up, you're in a bad mood um, and you don't know why or you don't, you know. You can't, it wasn't that you slept wrong. You try to like dissect it, but then you still got to get to work, right? Mm -hmm. 7.30 is coming right around the corner. And so I had a couple of good conversations. I still was feeling, you know, not great. Just thinking about how hard the work is for Mm -hmm. people. Um, But then I went back to my office and I found the card from the teacher. But I also found one one of the quotes that we had in a pre-pandemic activity we'd done with the faculty it was like a list of quotes and you had to pick a couple that spoke to you. And the one that I had circled was from Jane Goodall. And it says, you cannot get through a single day without having impact on the world around you. What you do makes a difference and you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. And I, again, it goes back to choice, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's a choice that we have to make. I, I had the choice to sort of push away those feelings and just be like, I'm just going to get right into it. I'm good. Or I had the choice to say, I'm not good, which happens to us. We're humans. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's, it's one of my like guiding principles is trying to work more at being honest and vulnerable when things just get really hard. Um, it creates space for other people to do it. But I think it also allows us to release, you know, like I just think how much stuff do we not just like stockpile? It's not easy about just being a human being, let alone being in education, let alone being in education during a pandemic. Like it's just layers and layers and layers and layers. And if you just let those layers build up, <clears throat> it's not healthy. It doesn't mm-hmm. it does not lead to to anything good other than, you know, burnout and mental and spiritual and emotional exhaustion, like relationships, I think, get impacted because of these types of things we're going through. Um I I really do think, you know, to the words of Jane Goodall, like we have to make a choice on the type of difference we want to make. Um, so I, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to build on what you what you were no, saying. No, I think, I think it's so true, you know, and and I think, I mean, I already know what you're going to say to this because we've talked about it, but I think that is why your personal mantra is your personal mantra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, tell people what is your personal mantra. Yeah. So it's uh, if you can't. Uh, you can't fill from a you can't pour from an empty cup, and the subtext to that that I was telling Jen about is cuidate, you know, uh, take care of yourself. And when I get on the phone, I talk to my mom often, and you know, my parents are both back in California, and so you know, time on the phone, time on Facetime, like the little morning messages that she sends me on Instagram, like those are those are big uh, for us. It's been eleven years since I've been home really truly like i i go back and i visit but it's not the same as being there and i'm getting to watch you know my parents as they get older and my niece and nephews as they get older um and there's many times i think i look back at the 11 years that i've now spent in education um in many different facets and parts of the city and in different systems and 
over and over again, I go back to that that idea that you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, weekends like this are nice. They're mm-hmm. needed for us to refill our cups. But I have to think almost daily about how am I filling my cup? You know, yesterday was a tough day. <clears throat> there were tough meetings. There's tough phone calls. There's tough decisions to make. There's a thousand decisions to make. I don't know how many decisions principals yeah, make. Decision in a decision fatigue alone, yes. right? <clears throat> and so, you know, part of me filling my cup up is just going out to classrooms and talking to teachers and seeing kids and reminding them that we love them and mm. taking care of little things that we can take care of for them. That fills my cup, but I I really feel that that's been an ongoing battle for me. Like I've people that have known me 11 years know that about me. Like there's, <laughs> there's ebbs and flows in how I take care of myself. And sometimes, especially last year when we just felt like we were in constant crisis mode, constant, yeah. you know, response Always mode pivoting and- <clears throat> over and over again. <clears throat> I went from, you know, when we shut down basically through October and I had not taken a moment to just breathe. And so October <laughs> just rocked me. I mean, we would talk about Rocktober, Shocktober, right? All the things we call October. October is a October typically. October is the worst It month. is. But it was like doubled down with the fact that I just hadn't stopped mm-hmm. to take a moment to breathe. And you feel that lack of alignment. You, you, your body starts telling you something here is not right. Um, <clears throat> but it's hard to also sometimes share that with people. I think that's. That's the part that I've learned to release a little more is like, you're not perfect. You're not Superman. Not everyone expects you to be happy 100% of the time. But we hold ourselves in these really, you know, like pivotal and, and sort of like box-like experiences sometimes mm-hmm. because you're the principal. And so you should. Yeah. I tell I- – <laughs> I have weird conversations with myself, which I am always yeah. ready to admit. Um, well, not always ready to. I, I'll, I'll tell you the stuff I am yeah. willing to admit. But one of them is like, I, I've i just been recognizing this in my own thought patterns lately because I used to run a lot and now mm-hmm. I don't run at all. And I, I used to think like the leaders I admired the most were very fit and active mm-hmm. And so I will frequently tell myself people can't respect me as a leader if I'm not doing the fit and active part of life, which is such bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know why I say it, but I say yeah. it. It's like I'm guilting myself. I'm trying to guilt myself into actually walking out of my door and going for a run, which, by the way, never works. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm just like, you suck. I'll just stay home. Like, yeah. But I think you're right in that we hold ourselves to like these standards that – Probably other people aren't holding us to, but we imagine that they are. Mm-hmm. And we and maybe we've in the past held our leaders to this accountability system, but probably privately. Like yeah. I've never gone to a superintendent and said, like, I don't admire you if you're not a runner. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, but in my mind I've thought like I admired this person more because they were so they had they had a, a balance right. that was visible. You know, like I could see that they were taking care of themselves personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And so my perception of that was like they must be this outrageous leader because it's visible that they've created this balance in their life and they can talk about it. Right. They can show it's demonstrable. And so I feel like I ought to be that same way. Mm -hmm. But the truth of it is like, actually, that's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And there's false dichotomies that we buy into. 
Like we think you're either a good leader or a bad leader. You're either keeping balance, you're not keeping balance. And we get knocked off balance all the time. And I had a, a few, probably like about a month ago, right after I went to see my family, you know, going back to California, coming back is always hard and gets harder each time I come back. And people are like, you're not going to California, right? And I'm like, not yet. Uh, maybe one day, but not yet. <clears throat> and I, I found myself the next couple of weeks after I came back, like negotiating those boundaries. Like I'd, I'd had my Rocktober. I was ready to reset some boundaries in November. I shared them with the team. Like they know there's two days where I like leave earlier and I go and I take care of different things I need to take care of for myself. And I came back and I just felt like, how can I keep up with this? Um, it's almost like, um, and Jonathan, my husband, sort of like talked about like when the lakes get low, right? And you're sort of like that boat out in the lake. And like, mm -hmm. how can you go if it's not full? Mm -hmm. um, and how do you control that fullness for yourself um, yeah. more so than for the people around you? Like if you can't do that for yourself, then it's really hard to get your rudders going, right? And to like get moving. So you feel kind of like stuck. But I walked, I went on a, I, I do a lot of walks with people and a lot of talking and kind of like processing and I went on a walk with a principal that I really admire and, and who's been at it for a while. And um, thank you, Abby, Warren Garland over from Kip. Um, and we just like talked about, like, I think community. So such an important part of me filling my cup is finding community and finding other people who share commonalities in our stories or who can just listen or who can maybe share some nuggets of wisdom, kind of like your podcast does. <laughs> like I, it's, it's, it's awesome to hear people's stories how they've made sense of this issue of balance or being a good leader, or a mm -hmm. bad leader, uh, leader that's admired. Like we're just all human beings at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But the positionality that we buy into sometimes of well, you're the principal, you're the superintendent, you're a leader. Um, people need to know leaders are real. They need exactly. to know that we, we, there are days where we can't get out of bed. There are moments where we're tossing and turning all night. There are moments where we just don't, Maybe we we feel angry at the injustices in our system. Like I just think about even even going home the other day and thinking about like what was the verdict going to be oh. on the on the case with George Floyd and Dude, yeah I didn't know how to prepare myself yeah how like, think, honestly mm -hmm. I I honestly didn't know how to prepare myself mm -hmm. because I thought if we can't get this one thing right mm -hmm. I don't know what. I don't know what we've become. Yeah. 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 What, it's hard. Yeah. Um, I um, I also did not know how to prepare myself. Um, but I, I knew that there was a part of me that also thought, and we still have so much work left to do. Mm -hmm. Like each time we get to these little moments where we think, okay, there's been some level of accountability here. Um, the system's still still not built for us. It's not built for for us to to see more equity. Um, and that's you know part of what drives me to do the work that I do as principal. Um, and I, I I feel like we're all just making sense of mm -hmm. the day to day. So many things, oh. right? Isolation. Reentry, <laughs> social injustice, yeah, the work, mm -hmm. just the work on any given day is mm -hmm. is a lot of work. Running yeah. schools, being in school, running a classroom, managing students, 
it's so um it is it is so much but it's so gratifying too mm -hmm. when it does go well and so i feel like um bringing to light like how we're how we're able to make it go well sometimes is really important too yeah. and i will say that i follow you on instagram <laughs> i follow you on social we're friends on facebook you know uh, and on twitter i think and i there have been many times where i've seen something and i think i've texted you at <laughs> random and been like i know this is weird but i'm just gonna send it anyway because you're so vulnerable about your your ebbs and flows and and your um you are really outright and upfront about like, these are the healthy steps I'm taking today. I made this healthy meal. Mm -hmm. I went on a walk. I spent time in nature. I'm, you know, and, and I realize that like when I'm posting something on social media, it's because it's just a moment I'm having and I'm going to throw something. <laughs> I don't think we all take the time to realize that actually what you're doing in sharing your part of your day is inspiring somebody else to do the same or at least think think on it. And, you know, one of my life verses is is to think on things that are pure and that are worthy to be praised and excellent and good and true and lovely. And it's easy to get off course with that because the media is rarely reporting on things that are good and true and worthy and excellent. You know, it's, uh -huh. it's more like <laughs> these are the top 10 things that you should stress out about today. <laughs> And so yeah. I have to constantly remind myself to think on things that are good and true and worthy mm -hmm. to be praised and excellent. And when I see your, what I see, what you choose to share, mm -hmm. it inspires me every time, which is why I was like, I have to have David in this season because I think like so much of what you do is a mantra, mm -hmm. whether it's your healthy eating uh, or whether it's your plant life. <laughs> You know, like just your connection with nature through. So tell everybody about your. So I don't want to sound crazy, but your plant life is really inspiring to me. Like yeah. I want to fling with nature too, <laughs> but I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when when I was going through a tough time the year before, so this is like pre-pandemic, <clears throat> um, I was thinking about work a lot. I mean, that it's just I think it comes with mm -hmm. with the work that we do. And I was on a walk with a friend. And she said, um, you need a hobby. <laughs> and I was like, a hobby? Like, I don't, what's a, like, work is my hobby. Like, is not not my hobby? And so she's like, no, you need to decide, like, on a new hobby and an old hobby that you, you select. So I was like, nah. So plants was my new hobby. And clay work was was what I was going to do as my new activity, or my, my old activity that I was familiar with. So I bought my first plant. And she was like, water this when you get paid, like, once a month so i was like okay I, I can keep it alive so i did it and honestly it just like helped me think about something else i went to my therapist a week later and i was like my friend told me about hobbies and i don't know what she was kind of implying she said i need to think about something else besides work and so of course like a good therapist he said why do you think she said that and i was like oh okay i see what you're doing here sir um but i went and bought my plant and then I bought my second plant. And then I, now I have a lot of plants. Um, Jonathan knows it's a lot. It's a lot of plants. Um, but I find that they, there's a lot of parallels to taking care of others uh, and taking care of something that can like grow. And you can see like, yeah, yeah uh, I, I love plants. And then uh, we manifested uh, our LLC and David's plantas. And that was a whole conversation uh, between Jonathan and I and 
I remember talking to Jenny Rosas and being like, manifest it. Like, let's do this. And then I was like, okay, we're doing it. We did it. We've been doing it. Um, it's helped me. It's been a cornerstone for balance for sure. But I also just think about when I come home each day, I'm greeted by Jonathan, I'm greeted by my puppy, and then I'm greeted by my plants. And it is nice to come home and like have something else to think about, um, to share, to like, it's also been a good pandemic. I was doing plants before the pandemic, but we know there's been a pandemic plant boom. <laughs> um, all of the city of San Antonio is just like embraced plants, indoor plants. But there's that connection that I had when I went, um, it was around the same time in November and I went with Latino Outdoors and we took families to go camping during Thanksgiving week. And I had a moment where I could feel the sun and I could mm. hear the wind and I could feel like my feet firmly planted. And that moment is never going to fade away in my mind or just like that. That's, like you said, the pureness of that experience and like just appreciation and gratitude for life. Um, it's super real. When we had our middle school meeting this past week, I was telling you about we had a meeting with our parents who are at home because they're going through a lot too and they have feedback to give our school in, in ways that they want to better understand you know how we're managing the things we're managing and at the end of it I just said you know more than anything I'm grateful to be here I think about all the people who haven't made it through this pandemic who haven't made it through the, you know the issues we've we've seen in our country with police brutality and mm -hmm. Uh, just thinking about the winter storm wasn't even that far ago and how many folks were struggling with you know issues of homelessness and how our city did or didn't respond to it. Um, the essence of all of this, I think, is to teach us, at least for me, to teach me gratitude. Mm -hmm. But I go back to the mantra, you can't pour from an empty cup. Like taking care of others also takes away from you at times. Yeah. Um, I recently spoke with Lizzie Perez, who's, Yes, yes. Lizzie, if you don't know Lizzie, go find oh Lizzie. Oh, my God. Uh, Lizzie's good for the soul. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but we talked about pain and how we process pain. Because you're right, there are lots of things, and I get feedback all the time about, like, thank you for sharing what you did. I'll get lots of messages on the side. Um, just creating space for people to see we're human. We have a range of emotions. We can experience those emotions. It's permission giving. For sure. Um, and, and it's also painful. Right, cause because you're going through life working to make a difference, going back to Jane Goodall, and sometimes making a difference comes with pain. Like the, the principalship, for me, it's at the nexus of like hearing about the grandparents who don't know how to like help their kid with their grandchild with online learning, the mom who's in the apartment who doesn't have a car, so you know, needs help with food. Like all of these things live within us. There's been a huge rise in issues with CPS and domestic violence or child abuse. Um, how do you not take some of that on as a human being um, and then also try to balance it with the joy, with the goodness that we see, with the celebrations? Like it's got to be a give and take, I think, between all of those things together. So that's that's what I choose to share for sure. There's more always that I don't share, but the moments I do share, I think are really just freeing for me. Uh, I came out you know, to myself when I was a senior in high school. I didn't know what being gay meant. I never thought I'd be a 
principal. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know people who were gay and who were open and who were principals. Um, I've had to live into my truth time and time again. Uh, as an educator, when I was a teacher, I was really nervous. I never came out while I was a teacher, even though I'd been out all throughout my college years. I felt like I went right back into the closet when I came to Texas. I found myself really struggling with that. But the truth does set you free, right? Like, <laughs> and um, that was one big truth and continues to be a truth that like helps take huge weight off my shoulders. But just the human element of experiencing pain and grief and mm-hmm. suffering is just a part of life. And sharing that, I think, is it brings a sense of relief to me that I that I think we need at really pivotal times. I agree. I think I think that I mean Carlos wrote a book about sharing your story, mm-hmm. and I have learned so much with him. I wouldn't. I think that sometimes we're conditioned to like hold our stories really close and be very protective of them um, for fear of what other people are going to think or what opportunities we won't be afforded if we share our fullness, the full self, the full version of who we are. And what I've learned by listening to, you know, Carlos tells stories for a living. Mm -hmm. He makes stories, um, beautiful stories. I'm clearly biased, but beautiful. Like, Mm -hmm. and he gets to hear most of the stories he hears are centered in in restoration and are centered in like um using pain as a pivotal point in your life and and then like that being the impetus for all kind or the catalyst for like a new season right <laughs> and so i think when you share, when you're vulnerable in that way, it sets a course that's really different from what might have been if you hadn't told the whole story. But we don't have permission to do that all the time Mm -hmm. because we have our own real fears or perceived fears about what people are going to, how that's going to land for somebody. Um, And even when I sent you the text that one time where I was like, I don't know what David's going to think of me if I just (laughs) randomly text him and say, I just love you. Mm -hmm. Like, I love you. And it was a it was a weird thing because I was on a walk and I was watching what you were doing. And I was like, man, you know, I just I I hope for me that I can be that vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And my vulnerability probably doesn't come with the same risk. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's it means something different when you're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. It means something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, let's just sit on that. Yeah, there's like moments where you just need to process. Um, Jonathan's a, a huge. Like, I love we Jonathan both have, too. yeah, we have, <laughs> we have both have very supportive partners, and I really admire Carlos's work. Carlos has done some videos with me actually, too, and it, I look back on them and I'm like, wow, like he really got me to tell my story. Um, I, yeah, I just want to take a moment for that to really think about what that means. Because my wishes (laughs) for the kids that we serve is that they can live their stories fully as well. Like that they don't have to necessarily go through the the level of exhaustion or the world that we're building with them is one that honors their culture, their identity, their truth, um, over and over again that starts with us as adults i think it's a big part of it like creating Mm -hmm. space for 
us to share that even amongst ourselves as educators. I think that's why this podcast is so important that you hear the stories of what people are going through, their triumphs, their tribulations, like oh, the yeah, whole the gamut, whole like just the human experience. I, yeah. I do think specifically, like if you're listening and you're thinking like, well, how do I get there? Each path is different. Two, two things that have really helped me have definitely been the work of Mark Brackett, um, who uh, wrote Permission to Feel and is out of ruler uh, Yale. And um, Jonathan and I did the book study with him and like, learned That's a lot so from cool. that. Yeah, that was beautiful. And of course, Brene Brown, who I just go back to over and over again. I have to have a rumble if I have to remind myself that being clear is kind. If I have to think about am I armoring up right now and why am I doing that? Because there is a risk with sharing your truth. And and, um, how much more true is that than me, my experience and coming out to my family and thinking, am I going to be rejected? Am I going to be disowned? Am I going to not be loved? Because I think at the core of it, we want to be loved. And I want to be loved. You want to be loved. And you can't love people if you don't know their truth. If you don't share your truth. So ah, you're making me think a lot. That's good. <laughs> um, I'm just taking that moment to sort of literally like sort of processing out loud what I'm thinking and feeling about what you shared. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for living out the vision you've set for your school, which mm-hmm. is to take care of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it in Spanish, but I would butcher it. So you you do it. You do a much better job. Cuídate. Take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Take care of each other. Yeah. And, yeah, what else is there to say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I Thank don't you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Totally. Thank you for the work you do. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with it. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>